0: All right, let's study God's word together. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 as we kick off our new series, David, the life of a king. You know, King David is one of the most interesting and important characters in all the Bible. You know, he didn't come from a a famous lineage. He was a shepherd who was chosen by God to be a king, the second king of Israel. He was also a brave warrior and ultimately became a war war hero. Uh, He was also at the same time a musician uh, and a poet. He also uh, committed one of the most infamous sins in all of the Bible, uh, one of the ones that gets talked about the most is what I mean there, and he was flawed, he, he sinned, and, but he loved God and was a, was a man after God's own heart. All right, let's study God's Word together. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 as we kick off our new series, David, the life of a king. You know, King David is one of the most interesting and important characters, people, in all of the Bible. He he didn't come from a famous lineage, uh, but God chose him uh, to be the second king of Israel. He was a shepherd chosen by God to be a king. And he was a brave warrior and ultimately a war hero. And at the same time, he was a musician and a poet. So you've got a shepherd, a king, a, a warrior, war hero, musician. Poet, uh, All this wrapped up in David. At the same time, he was a flawed individual. He, he sinned greatly against God, committed one of the more infamous sins in the Bible. Um, but at the same time, this was a guy who, who loved God. And, 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 and God worked in and through him um, in incredible ways. David's a complex figure. We can learn a lot from him, both from his successes and his failures. We can learn a lot about God through the life of David. Well, seeing how God works in and around uh, David's life. and We see things in David's uh, trials, his sins, his victories, um, and just the different circumstances in his life. It's been said that more has been written about David than any other character in the Bible. Something like over 60 chapters uh, on David. Ultimately, uh, David is the king that God chose to bring the Messiah through his line. The Messiah, Jesus, is referred to as the son of David. It's through his lineage, through the, the Davidic line that the Messiah came. David points us to our need for a better and a truer king, though. That ultimately he points us to Jesus, the better and truer king that we need to rescue us. And we need to reign over our hearts and over our lives. So today we begin in 1 Samuel 16. And in this passage, we're going to see God reject one king and choose a new king. And God, we will see, is not preoccupied with the externals in this choice. God looks at the heart. And so as as we study God's word together, I want you to understand that God is way more concerned today with your heart than anything else. So much in your life ultimately is determined uh, by what's going on in your heart. Uh, What's going on in your heart has a way of working itself outward, and God is the only one that can see your heart, and God is concerned about your heart, and God wants to work in your heart. God cares about your heart, and ultimately God wants your heart. He wants your heart, and He wants to transform your heart, and He wants to work in and through your life today. Before we get into 1 Samuel 16, though, let's back up a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And 1 Samuel 8 helps us understand how we get to 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, the elders of Israel came to Samuel, uh, who was the prophet uh, in this day, and, and they said to Samuel, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They, the Israelites had they decided they wanted a king and they wanted to be he says it says they're like other nations and that is exactly what they're not supposed to do they are god's nation they are god's people god is their king they are a peculiar people and and god it actually says in first samuel chapter 8 verse 7 and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So and by asking for a king in this moment, they're actually rejecting God as being king over them. They're saying, We want to be like other nations. We 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 want to we want an earthly ruler in this way. But before we're too hard on Israel, let's keep in mind that this is exactly what we've all done. Uh, This is humanity's problem, not just Israel's problem. Uh, We've all rejected God as king over our lives. We all want to be our own king, ultimately. Right? That's what sin's ultimately all about. We want to rule. We want to reign over our hearts and lives. And we reject the leadership of God. We disobey God. Uh, we, we've all chosen to go that way, that sinful path of rejecting God as king and ultimately trying to be our own king. And we see this happening here with Israel. And we've all experienced it in our own personal lives. So God gives His people what they asked for. He gives them a king. Now He warns them about some, uh, some, things that, some, some not good things about having a king. But then he gives them a king, and the first king he gives them is a man named Saul. Saul's name means desired. He was ultimately the king Israel thought they desired. Names mean a lot many times in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says he was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And the point there is, he looked like a king. He would be easy to rally people behind. He, the problem was not in Saul's appearance, but ultimately, though, that it was in his character. But he was someone who, who, who looked like a king. And, and, and that wasn't ultimately the problem that's going to happen with Saul. There's nothing wrong with looking like a king. The problem was his character was not as such uh, to, to, to be able to hold that office. Um, he ends up with, and we're going to see here in a moment, in, in, all kinds of, in all kinds of troubles. But he looked the part. Right? He looked the part. If you would have saw him, he was the tallest one, right? They're like, oh, you know, and, 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 and in that day, that was a big deal. They recognized him and said, wow, now that's a guy that should be king. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's good looking, he looks like a leader. And you hear people say that sometimes, right? Like during elections and stuff, do they look like a president? You know, things like that. Does he look like a king? And, um, and you know, in our world, people value those sort of things. They valued those sort of things back then. But that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's, we're skipping some chapters. We're going to go back and kind of fill some of this in. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to, to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So here we pick up, and Samuel is mourning the loss of Saul as king. So something has went wrong with the first king. God has rejected this king. He's rejected Saul, and God has selected a new king. And and, and God's already chosen him. He's about to find out who it is. He's going to send Samuel, and Samuel's going to find out who this is going to be. And what we see happening in chapter 16, though, is ultimately a progression of what has already been announced all the way back in chapter 13. In chapter 13, God, God tells um, Saul that, the, that the, his kingdom will not continue. In chapter 13, verse 14, he says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. Meaning, it's not going to perpetuate beyond you, uh, when, 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 once you. It's not going to your son. It's not staying in your family. He says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Samuel tells Saul, your kingdom will not stand. Your kingdom ends with you. God has picked a new king, and his line is going to be established. And this king, he says, is a man after God's heart. Now, what does that mean? There's a few things it can mean. It can mean that this is God's choice. It's a man, in other words, according to God's own will. That it's God's will to select this man. Or it can also convey that this person would have a heart seeking God's will. Um, And it it could convey as one commentator pointed out it can convey both david was god's choice and we'll see ultimately that he'll be a man that loves god not perfectly of course but he will be a man uh that will uh, ultimately be uh about doing the will of god ultimately that will love god a man is there man after god's own heart so saul had a heart that continually failed to seek and obey god and that's how he he ends up he, he loses his kingdom he, he, he sort of wastes his life. He sort of throws everything away because he failed to be a person who seeks God, who obeys God. I'll give you a couple of examples. In chapter 13, Saul was headed into battle and he was given an explicit instruction by Samuel. He was to wait seven days. Once he gets there, you wait seven days before you, before you go into battle. And Samuel would then show up and Samuel would perform his briefly duty before they, priestly duty before they went into battle. But Saul grew impatient. The people started to scatter. This seemed like too long of a wait. So what Saul does is he goes and he decides he'll do the he'll do the role of the priest and he'll do the burnt offering. And so Saul, who uh, Saul who is king, now, you know the king and the priest are two different people, right? We see that merged in Jesus. We talked about that in Hebrews, but it wasn't supposed to be merged in Saul. He, he goes and he does Samuel's role. He just presumes upon himself that he can do this. He disobeyed. He was spiritually presumptuous, arrogant, even. And would rather make sure he got the ritual done than honoring God and God's design and God's word. And Samuel tells him, he tells Saul, when when Saul's making his case before him about why he did this and why I had to do this, I had to do this. And Samuel, he had to make this sacrifice. And and Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. You're all worried about the ritual and and God's worried about your heart. God's concerned about your heart. God, God wants you to obey him. Saul did not learn anything, though. We get over to chapter 15, and we have another example. Saul was told to wipe out this, the Amalekites, the evil Amalekites completely, but Saul decides to, to keep the best of their stuff and the best of their animals and, and to ultimately to spare their king. He even thought, well, we'll offer the best of this to God is what he ultimately, the excuse he makes to Samuel. He seems to think God, God would like that, but Samuel rebukes him. Once again tells him the kingdom will be torn from him. Once again, Saul is disobedient. He's not a man that seeks, is seeking God here. He's not after God's heart. He's not honoring and obeying God. He's kind of sort of playing around with obeying God. When we pick up here in chapter 16, when God says he rejected Saul, right? God had given Israel the exact sort of king they desired. He looked the part. He looked like a warrior, a leader, a king. But Saul failed to be the kind of king God desired. So God goes and gets a king like he wants. do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made, his, made him pass before Samuel and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forth. and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So now we're introduced to David, the man God had chosen to be king, who at the moment is just a boy. But he's a boy God had big plans for. Now here's what we need to see. David is very different than Saul. Uh, he's a king the king God has selected. Saul is the king God has Rejected. Saul looked like a king. He was the kind of king they desired in that he was impressive, right? Uh, he, looked like, he looked like the kings of the other nations, maybe. But Eliab is like this, too, when he passes before Samuel. Samuel sees him, and he assumes maybe this is the one, right? He looked like a king. He was the oldest. Uh, he had, probably had the sight, right? Looking at stature and things like that. And God teaches Samuel an important lesson that is the heart of the passage there in verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. He goes, what you're looking at is not what I'm looking at. What you're obsessed with is not what I'm obsessed with. What you're concerned about is not my concern. I'm not like you. I'm the Lord. And I look at the heart. I look at something you can't even see, Samuel. And this is a key passage. A lot of what you need to know about God and about people and about Christianity, by the way, is wrapped up in that passage. God sees the heart. God cares about the heart. God's concerned about the heart. He looks at the heart. So, just two points today. Number one, God sees our heart. Our worldly, natural self tends to look at the outside, right? That's what man does. But God looks at what you and I can't see. He looks at the heart. And God isn't, he's not like us. He's holy and he's different. He's God. And there was nothing about David that that made him seem like the guy from an earthly, worldly perspective. He's not the one you and I would have picked to be king. He was first of all. He was the youngest. When you read the Old Testament, you'll see an emphasis in their culture at that time on the firstborn. Right, the firstborn son got the inheritance, the blessing, and all these things. And the choice of David being king and not his brothers goes against all of that. Goes against all of that. But as, as scholars point out, but this, this is keeping with how we see God work throughout the Old Testament. We see this with Isaac and ja- and Jacob and Joseph. God chooses them instead of their older brothers to to work mightily through. We see it with Moses, God choosing him as opposed to to Aaron. God worked through Aaron too, but Moses was the one he chose to lead God's people. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God take the different path in society and then the world would take to pick the one unexpected. And that's something we see at play here. Just another one of those examples of of God um, working different than man. And then he says he was that David was the smallest you know which can mean, or the youngest it, that word there can mean he's the youngest it can mean he's the smallest Some have pointed out it can mean he's like the runt of the family you know that he's just kind of being overlooked in a lot of ways, right like his dad didn't even invite him he's out keeping sheep everyone else gets invited, gets invited but David and David's the guy that God's picked and they don't even know it they don't even think to have him come out, and, you know, get a servant or someone else to watch the sheep, uh, someone a hired hand or or whoever. No, it just uh, you know, or some sort of rotation. Like, hey, this brother's going to watch, then David's going to go watch, and this person's going to watch, and then this, you know. But no, he just all of them come. David's the one keeping the sheep. Why? He doesn't assume that 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 this is someone that that Samuel wants to meet or has any sort of plans for and, and it's not even revealed we don't even know how, what he's even revealed about what's happening here when, when he's being anointed a lot of mystery kind of taking place here, as far as what the family would have known and understood but God was not making the selection on human worldly terms he didn't choose David for his stature his looks, his age, his birth order or the experience that he had this doesn't mean David was ugly by the way that misses the point too it, that, that wasn't the point either uh, the Bible actually says here that David was uh, ruddy. That could refer to his skin tone or even that he could refer to having reddish hair. People, you know, debate what that means. And he had, it says he had beautiful eyes and that he was handsome, right? And so uh, that wasn't the point either. The, one, the point wasn't that God wanted a, a, an ugly king or a handsome king. The point was that wasn't really God's concern. Um, it's interesting that the Bible puts that in here so that so kind of so that we would know to kind of balance these things out. The point is God's looking at his heart. But David didn't have a king's resume, right? If you were to look, at, collect resumes for king, David didn't have that, right? He, he's just a boy at this point, an unknown. But the main point is not that God is against a king-like resume. The point is that God is concerned with the heart. That's the main point. God's looking at the heart. You know, resumes can deceive. You can get a resume and think, wow, this person's awesome. They went to this school. They've worked at these places. Look at all the things they've done. resumes can be really impressive. But resumes never say some things, right? They never say works poorly with others. (laughs) Resumes never say huge gossip, culture killer, immature. Resumes don't say those things. Resumes can be deceptive. But God can't be deceived. He looks past the resume. God sees the heart. He sees what you and I can't see. God God sees and he is concerned with and he works in the heart. Does this mean David had some perfect heart? Like these guys come through and it's like bad heart, bad heart, bad heart, bad heart. Is there anybody around with a good heart? You know, is that I don't, that's not really the point. If David's heart was seeking God, if, that's, if David's heart was seeking God, it's because God was already working. And God had already sought David and was working in David's heart. No one has a good heart. We all have hearts that they need to be changed by God. And so if our hearts are seeking God and loving God and seeking to do God's will, it's because God is working in our heart to bring that about. And God desires that, though. That's what God wants from us. The Spirit rushing on David is a reminder. Is, it's been pointed out that David will need God's Spirit to empower him to, to live for and to obey God. And we do too, by the way. But it's very possible that God was already at work in the heart of David. Even as a young boy. God had already been at work in him that he would be someone that loved and obeyed and cared about the things God cared about. God was looking, he, he was not so much concerned with, will this person be the right height? Will they look like a king? He was concerned with their heart. Acts points out to the fact that God and David in David, God was choosing someone who would ultimately was he wanted someone that would obey him. Acts chapter thirteen, verse twenty two says, and when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king. So this is the New Testament kind of helping us interpret the Old Testament. When he had removed him, when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. See, in Saul's life we learn that ultimately the heart will, will manifest itself in the life. We'll either be a people that do the Lord's will or who don't. Saul was someone who ultimately began to not do the Lord's will. And we saw those things when, when we talked about them in chapter 13 and chapter 15 in 1 Samuel. And we need to beware of a heart that doesn't value God and doesn't value obedience to God above all things. That that that, that prizes rituals and religious rituals even over a relationship with God. Saul seems to go down that path, right? Oh, I got to make the sacrifice. Well, you're being disobedient doing that, but I got to get the sacrifice made, right? God's more concerned about obedience. He was more concerned about uh, Saul was more concerned about the ritual. So beware of that in your own life. Beware of partial obedience. Right? He, I'm kind of, sort of going to obey God here. I'm going to pick and you. I'm going to kind of, mostly do what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do like everything God wants me to do. Like be, beware of some an, an obedience that you think is a kind of, sort of obedience. That's not what God's after. You know, I like to cook every now and then. And um, I've got this one pasta dish uh, that I like to make, and it, it's awesome. But it's not my recipe. I'm a... I'm a uh, I'm a uh, recipe follower, right? So I like to get a good recipe, and then I just follow it, right? It's just following instructions. Very, very simple. Yeah, you might add some spice, extra spice here or there, but you're just going to follow that template because what I don't want to have happen, it calls for this and this and this of that. I, that's what I'm putting in. What I don't want to do is spend time doing something and then go, this isn't at all what I was expecting. This isn't what I was trying to make. If, I kinda, if you kind of sort of follow the directions when you cook, Bad things can happen. You end up with not at all what you set out for if you're not careful. Let me tell you, if you kind of, sort of obey God, what you end up with is not obedience. You'll end up with something else totally. You'll end up with disobedience. Partial obedience is not the obedience God calls for. We need hearts that love and desire to honor and to obey God fully. That's, the, that's what God's after, and God's looking at our heart. God is concerned, concerned today with your heart and my heart. He sees our hearts. He knows our hearts. All through the Bible, God's concerned with the heart. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. Jesus says it's what comes from the heart that defiles a person. Proverbs says guard your heart with all diligence, vigil, vigilance. From, from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is important. It's a big deal. Listen, your heart matters. It's the very seat of who you are. Your mind, your will, your emotions all flow from there. It, it's the inner you. All that you do in life flows from your heart. It's the most important thing uh, about you in that sense. It's, it's, it's what's going to determine choices you make and things you do. How's your heart? How is your inner beauty? Are you someone who loves God and obeys God? Do you have a heart that runs after God and His will? Is that the kind of heart you have? The kind of heart that produces godly character? That's what God was ultimately about here, right? He he wants a king with godly character. A king that will obey him and do his will. Let me ask you, are you more concerned with your character than you are your resume? By the kind of person you are and are becoming as opposed to just simply things you've accomplished? Are you tending your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Are you caring for your heart? God cares about it. God sees your heart second thing I want you to understand is God wants to shape our heart. There's some space of time between verses 13 and verses 14. And then there's some space over into chapter 17, the David Goliath story. And we need to remember that God is concerned with David's heart. And God has been at work on David's heart, uh, I think, before Samuel ever showed up. Now that work's going to continue. He's been working. He's going to continue to work. Well, why? He wants, he wants David... Uh, to be a king that will obey him and do his will. That's what God cares about. God wants a king. He he don't want another Saul situation. Uh, And God's looking at the heart, and God's concerned about the heart. And so over the course of David's life, God's going to work on David's heart, I believe. And here he was just a boy. Tim Keller said something like this, the only beauty that can grow and get better with age is inner beauty. Isn't that true? You know, ultimately everything around us is kind of decaying. But on the inside, you can actually be renewed. You can grow. You can mature. You can become, inner beauty can increase as you become more godly, more Christ-like. And over the course of David's life, David's going to make mistakes. David's going to fail. David's going to sin. But God's, when he does, God's going to lead him to repentance. God's going to work in David's heart and life. And over the years, God's going to continue to shape his heart. You know, I think there's three primary ways that God, we can see in, in chapter um, 16 here that God shaped David's heart. First, God shaped David's heart through his spirit. There in verse 13 it says, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, what's happening? God's spirit rushes upon David to empower David for his ministry, for the position that he's going to hold and God's going to place him in as king. David has been chosen, but he wouldn't be king for several more years. It's going to be several more years before he's king, but God's spirit rushes upon him right then. And we're going to see David doing things and doing the will of God and being used by God in mighty ways before he becomes king. God is shaping him. And God's Spirit is the primary way God transforms us, He empowers us, He shapes the human heart. The only way David would be a man that would love God, obey God, chase after the will of God, is if God's Spirit continued to work on David's heart to make him a man after after God's heart. Believe that the Spirit of God wants to work in your life to transform you from the inside out. God wants to He wants to shape your heart. Are you leaning into that? If you're a believer today, are you you leaning into that? Do you spend time with God? Are we seeking to have our hearts worked on? A lot of the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and speak to us, to convict us, to stir us, to transform us as we study His Word. Are we doing that? God shaped David through His Spirit, I believe, but also God shaped David through shepherding where did they find David? He was in the field, right? Shepherding the sheep. Just out there doing what he was supposed to be doing. Then one day, David gets called in and boom, he's being anointed by a prophet. What happens after that? Big grand things happen, right? Big things, right? I'm sure David goes on some sort of tour. No, no, no tour? No, uh, no parades yet? I mean, what, what, what happens after that? He goes back. To the field, the shepherd. Well, how do I know? Because when we find David in chapters the, 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 the next half of this chapter and over in chapter 17, he's always shepherding sheep, right? Even with the David and Goliath story. He's going back and forth to, to, to help Saul and to and to shepherd sheep for his dad. He's still shepherding. And God used this in David's life. He used his circumstance, his position, and his task to help shape him. Here's how I know Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. Psalm 78, verses 70-72. through 72. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. He took him from the sheepfold and made him a shepherd of people. Israel, his inheritance. Verse 72, With upright heart, heart, upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. See, just as David once shepherded sheep, he would one day shepherd God's people. That's incredible. With what? An upright heart. God worked in his heart. A skillful hand. David likened God's care in Psalm 23 to him being a shepherd. Being his shepherd. Lord is my shepherd. He understood that there are things to be learned about caring for and leading people through shepherding sheep. Because when he thought about how God cared for and led him, he likened it to God being a shepherd. So David understood that as a king, there's a lot about being like, even though God was the ultimate shepherd, that he was like an under-shepherd. God's the ultimate king. He was God's God's man here on earth. He was a king to shepherd God's people. So God shaped him through that. Charles Swindoll says God's training ground for David had four primary means. And now most of that came from him being a shepherd. Let me give you those four means. He says solitude. Right, a lot of time alone out there in the, in the sheep fields. God could use solitude in his life and obscurity. David was unknown. Shepherds were not celebrities, right? David was just unknown boy out tending sheep. Monotony, right? Just doing the same thing every day, repetition, and God just used that in his life and discipline and things that he would need. And then reality. And Swindoll talks about how David would tell the story about having to kill lions and bears, and he, he would learn, you know that. Uh, that the types of things that happen when when you're out there caring and, and, and directing and leading and, and he had to fend off these things. And so God used these means, right, to help train David, and to shape David. God uses things like these in our lives as well. Let me ask you, what is your shepherding? What is your sheep field? Think about that. What is it that God's using in your life to shape you right now? Well, let me tell you, it's whatever you're doing, or it should be. It can be whatever you're doing. Like he can can use being a a father, a mother, right? Uh, Whatever your job is, or if you're a stay-at-home mom, or if you're retired, or what a grandparent, whatever it is, right? A a sibling, a student, whatever it is that's going on in your life that you're spending so much time in, God doesn't want that time wasted, (laughs) right? Right, If you're in school, God's not sending you through school for that to be wasted. Right? He, he wants to shape you through that. He wants to shape your heart through that. He wants to work on your heart during that. and Whatever your job is that you go to for hours a day, all these days of the week, God's not, God's not trying to take off, oh, I'm not going to work on them then. Right? I'm not going to shape them. I'm not going to mold them. I'm not going to make them more Christ-like then. No, God wants to use all these things in your life to shape you and to mold you. It's like you're shepherding. shepherding. It's like your sheep field. But God also shaped David through serving. In chapter 16, verses 14 through 20, through the second half of this passage that we didn't read, the next section of Scripture, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God departs Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord begins to torment him. And Saul is miserable. His disobedience has ruined his life, and his servants tell him, you need to go get someone to come play the, the liar for you, so the, so to comfort you. You need, some you need music to help you, is basically what they're telling him. And so he, it says in chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. So some time has passed here now, by the way. Not sure how much. In verse 18 it says, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. And that's key. It's key. The Lord is with him. That will be something that's all over David's life. The Lord is with him. So David has a reputation now, and the key is that God is with him. And God is what's we kind of see seems like David is maturing here. Now he's got a little bit of a reputation before he was forgotten, but that because God's getting ready to to move him forward because He's preparing him to be king. Right? God's working in his life. And then in verse 21 of chapter 16, it says, David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And So God took David, and he placed him right in the service of the king that he's going to replace. And Saul doesn't have a clue. He he, he becomes his armor-bearer, and he, he got to see up close and personal what it's like to be king. He got to see the stress and the challenges. He sees Saul tormented, right? And if he understood why, then he would have learned the consequences of disobeying God, but... He got just the value of that. And God orchestrated all that. And he he served Saul in this way. Someone that ultimately is going to turn his back on him. It's going to begin to torment David. But David serves him. Later Saul grows jealous of David and tries to kill him. And David will have opportunity to kill Saul. Kill Saul, become king. He'll have a couple opportunities actually. But his integrity won't allow it. His heart has been shaped by God. He honors the king's position as the Lord's anointed. He refuses to dishonor the king. He views that as a way of dishonoring God. Until, until God removes the king, who am I to do this? doesn't matter that I've been anointed by a prophet or any of that. This humility and this service. And, as he just continued to serve in that way, even when, when Saul wanted to have nothing to do with him. You have to wonder how serving a Saul's personal musician and armor bearer shaped David to have a servant heart for the years ahead. You know, God can use service to shape us, I believe. As we serve others, God can change us. Let me ask you, do you have a servant heart? Are you pursuing a servant heart? Are you seeking to serve others? We need to do that. We need to look for opportunities to serve other people, to humble ourselves. Jesus came to, to serve, right? Not to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He wants his followers, he wants his people to be those who will serve others. And God can shape us and God can mold us through our service. He can work on our heart as we serve others, I believe. God wants to shape your heart. He wants to transform it and mold it to be ultimately a, a heart that desires to love him and to do his will and pursue him. He wants you to be someone who loves and obeys God and treasures him above all A person of real inner beauty. Can I just say that no one just becomes a person after God's heart? No one's born that way. (laughs) Only the true king can truly change your heart. You know, David didn't seem like the choice from a human perspective to be king, did he? Can I just tell you that Jesus didn't either when he was on earth? Isaiah 53, 2 prophesies about Jesus and says, about the Messiah, it says, he grew up like him before a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. It wasn't like you looked at him and went, oh, that's clearly the son of God. Look, the halo over his head. That's not how it worked. David points ahead to that. The kind of king that God was going to send us. David, as the anointed one the the son and the prince who's been anointed points to the ultimate anointed one the Lord Jesus Christ the the Messiah the anointed one the ultimate anointed one that every other king that was anointed was pointing ahead to the fact that the ultimate king was going to come the anointed one was going to come that those were all just shadows the real king was coming and only Jesus was perfectly filled with the spirit perfectly in line with the Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only one who perfectly pursued the Father's heart in every way. Jesus is the only one that when the Father looked at him, he saw no sin in his heart or life. None there. No one had inner beauty like Jesus did. Tim Keller points that out. One of his messages that I listened to. And then he goes to the cross, and he takes our ugly sin upon himself. The the, the worst thing about us, our rebellion, our sin against God, God's own son, the incredible, morally perfect, superior, supreme, holy, beautiful son of God goes to the cross and bears our sin so that we can be transformed. So that we can be transformed from the inside out. He goes and lays down his life so we can have life. He dies for us on the cross. Bears our sin. Takes the punishment we deserve. Lays down his life for us. Bears the ugliness of our sin and our shame. Dies in our place and rises from the dead. And only through him can we have transformed hearts and lives. Have you, been, have you been made new on the inside? Has God changed your heart? It can only happen through the, the gospel. We need to look to Jesus. We need to turn from our sin and look to Jesus and embrace Him. The one who died for us and rose again. The ultimate anointed one. Uh, the, the ultimate uh, one who really chased after the heart of the Father and did everything that God wanted him to do. Who perfectly obeyed God. He's the only king who... Per- look... David is like, God's like, hey, I'm, I'm choosing a different king. I'm going to choose a king that's, you know, I'm looking at the, at the heart. And God wants a king that's going to obey him. And, and we see that in David's life. But we also see disobedience in David's life. and Failure. And him needing to repent. That's why we have Psalm 51. <laughs> that did not happen with Jesus. He's the only king who's perfectly obeyed God. The sinless king who lays down his life for his people. To bring us to himself, to reconcile us to God. Only He can change your heart. Only He can transform you from the inside. It only happens when you trust Him and He begins to rule and reign over your heart and life. And His Spirit begins to work in you and through you. Has He changed your heart? If you had not I encourage you to look to Him today in faith. The Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll admit your sin and be willing to turn from it, if you'll turn from your sin and turn to Christ, repent of it. And turn to Christ and believe that He died on the cross for your sins and He has risen from the dead. If you'll put your faith and trust in Him, He'll save you. He'll rescue you right now and become to reign in your life as Lord and King. If you haven't done that, we encourage you to do so. You can call upon Him and ask Him to save you. Confess your sin to Him. Trust Him as Lord and His Savior. If you do that or if you've got questions about that, we'd love to answer your questions or celebrate with you. Just email us at info at gonorthpark.com. And believer, let me ask you, are you tending your heart today? Are you taking it serious? God does. Are you seeking to have God shape your heart? To be a heart that loves Him and obeys Him and treasures Him? God cares about your heart. God sees your heart. And God wants to shape your heart. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today that we can have new hearts through faith in Christ. And we thank you that when we put our faith and trust in Christ that you, 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 we, we get these transformed hearts. But God, you just continue to transform us and to make us more like Christ, to, to change our hearts and to, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to transform our character, to transform us from the inside out. We thank you for that, that good news. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching today that's never trusted Christ, that, that they would do so right now, wherever they're watching that they turn from their sin and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I pray for every believer watching today, Lord, that you would work on our hearts, that you would teach us to value the heart and inner beauty and and to treasure um, you above all things and to know that you want our heart and that you, you want our hearts to pursue you. And God, we pray that you'd shape our hearts to be more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.